Welcome to the Deconstructing Data Podcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, fractional CMO at BDEX, along with David Finkelstein, BDEX's founder and CEO. How's it going, David? It's going well, Jesse. Um, busy week. And every week goes by so fast. I can't believe it. Every time we get to Thursday, I'm like, we have podcasts again today. It's amazing how fast every week goes. Um, but we have a great guest today. So uh, I'll let you do the introductions. We do have a great guest today. Today's guest is Faraba Zamanian, VP of Data and Advertising at TiVo. And Faraba has been on the podcast multiple times before. And even before we had Deconstructing Data, she was an original guest on our, you know, sort of early idea fireside chats that we were doing just on YouTube. And that originally inspired Deconstructing Data. So we're definitely glad to have her back. She's a recognized leader and media industry expert with a proven career of success in the development and scale of products that monetize data and technology for advertising. Faraba is someone we're grateful to get to work with um, we, on a number of projects as we're proud partners with TiVo. And it's a privilege to be able to work with TiVo to help more advertisers improve their return on ad spend by targeting their consumer audiences deterministically. Um, and as always, Faraba, it's a pleasure to have you here. Let me bring you into the screen. Hi, everybody. So good to be back. Nice to see you. Great to have you back. It's been a while, but uh, great to have you back. Um, yeah, let's, let's kick it off a little bit. I know that you've been on a bunch of times before, but for those that may be watching or listening, um, maybe kick it off with an introduction a uh, little information about your background and how you got to TiVo, and then we can kick into what TiVo is doing today. Yeah, and I'll try to keep it quick because that uh, mm -hmm. take 45 minutes in itself. Um, so um, my name is Farah Bismanian, and um, I am uh, vice president uh, leading our television data sales uh, and advertising initiatives. Um, TiVo is um, a brand that is near and dear to me. I know it's got very high um, recognition in the marketplace, but often, you know, most folks still really aren't sure what we're up to these days. Um, and in fact, we've been uh, up to quite a bit. Um, I've been with the organization for 13 years. Um, really, it's been uh, we've had several acquisitions. The most recent is by Xperia. Um, who is um, the um, holding company that owns the brand TiVo, as well as um, some other notable brands um, in the audio space, DTS, for example, and enhanced IMAX when it comes to bringing the movie experience in home. Um, you know, TiVo is a brand that we all know because of the DVR. Um, but really what we've been is a software company um, working B2B um, over the last 13 years that I've been a part of it. And um, what brought me to TIFA was the innovation of, and being a pioneer again and changing up the industry of uh, capturing uh, data from set-top boxes on a passive basis to build a big data set that um, would enable the industry to passively identify uh, audiences based on um, their viewing behaviors, which is all done deterministically. Um, and as part of that, we've evolved over the years, supporting the industry through its transition um, from one that's been very heavily focused in linear as the basis for uh, wide scale reach of advertising impressions 
and uh, migrating into these applications where we can get much more targeted by leveraging linear audiences to target them across their devices in a digital environment. Um, and this is really what's kind of broken up, uh, broken open um, an enormous amount of change that we've undergone in the industry and has uh, enabled us to have the opportunity to work with BDAX um, in uh, identity resolution and um, scaling our audiences to meet the demands of, of the market. So um, data is near and dear. Um, data is cool, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's not just cool, it's super important. And uh, I, um, I think that, you know, with friends and family, when they ask me what I do, it's starting to get, I'm starting to get closer <laughs> to them realizing what is the importance of data because it's becoming part of the vernacular um, in our social settings and talking about uh, the importance of data. And I think COVID did a lot of that when we were looking at data of what was happening and changing um, across the globe in terms of uh, the counts um, as well as other. Um, and, and so data in the advertising technology industry has always been there. It's been behind the scenes, but as we've moved forward to where we are today, it's, it's a topic of every conversation. Um, but really breaking it down and deconstructing it is super important because, um, there are, uh, areas of opportunity for us to continue to perfect, um, and, and learn and, and be transparent about and build upon so that our future is one that continues to be able to enhance the performance of advertising um, and, and the investments that are made against it across devices. So a long, long answer, and a big answer, but hopefully it gets um, us seated for our conversation today. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, um, super helpful. Thank you for that. But let's, um, you're talking about data and you're talking about TiVo. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, the first topic, smart TV data. And let's dig a little further into your thoughts around that and what TiVo is doing there. So um, today, what uh, we, and myself um, in particular, has built um, a business um, at TiVo that's been able to leverage and harness the power of the data that we've been able to collect from linear set-top boxes. Um, and that is the traditional cable pay TV model. Um, the boxes historically were analog-based in, in terms of a coaxial cable that was powering the set-top box. And our software enables um, uh, uh, the capture of return path data, which effectively is every action that's made on that key, the, the remote is being captured. And that includes tune into programming as well as the commercial um, uh, pods. And um, it's a, it's a uh, really a foundational element for our monetization business and practice within TiVo and has really been one that I think initially started as this byproduct um, that we realized that we had access to that became monetizable. But now as we go forward into the future, data really is a key ingredient to the overall package um, that we'll be bringing to market with the launch of our independent uh, TV operating system that will be powering smart TVs um, for, um, think of it as more of the long tail um, manufacturers it, you know, the t not all TVs are, are the big three. Um, there's actually quite a bit of choice and selection when it comes to choosing a, a, a flat screen, now smart TVs. 
Um, and uh, we believe very strongly in um, the power of independence um, in giving consumers the ability to get to the programming that they want to see rather than swim through a sea of apps um, in, in order to find the content that they want to watch. Um, so we're really excited about this next generation for TiVo that is uh, effectively um, starting in Europe, so in EMEA, um, and uh, that will be happening later this year um, with plans to expand as we have another um, smart TV manufacturer that we'll be announcing in the fall um, who will bring us into the U.S. market. Um, and smart TV data is um, incredibly powerful, um, similar to linear set-top box, the ability to capture passively on a deterministic basis, viewing and exposure to advertising, um, but also it's um, introduced the uh, power of addressability. And um, that comes with targeted capabilities for very specific audiences to really hone in on who is the primary target for an ad and can I influence them with impressions that will drive a greater return. Um, and so ACR data right now has been limited or behind walls um, by the leading manufacturers. Um, and so sharing and bringing the industry forward of uh, a centralized or at least accessible syndicated data set has been um, a barrier for uh, you know, the industry on both sides. You see it as topic of conversation and debate, hotly debated when it comes to currency um, and standardized measurement so that uh, we're all put on an equal playing field when it comes to pricing um, for commercial airtime. Um, and, and a lot of that by not sharing that ACR data from those uh, OEMs makes it um, difficult to move forward. And so we are um, very excited to fill a, a role as an independent provider um, globally. And that really brings us, um, you know, forward with the industry to help fill those need gaps that they're looking for when it comes to um, planning, um, measurement, and then an allocation and buying on a cross-platform basis. So um, it's, uh, it, we're not intending to be a smart TV manufacturer. Um, the, the TVs will be powered by TiVo and our operating system, which has a monetization platform built in. It's a turnkey solution. Um, so we're very excited for this next generation coming back direct to consumer and the access to the, to the data that um, we are not going to be behind a walled, a walled garden. Um, so I think um, the message that we've always conveyed is that we're an independent provider supplying the industry and we're going to continue to do that. And it's super exciting given um, the needs that are present and very relevant today. Yeah, that's awesome. You hit on a couple of things that I want to I want to um, deconstruct. So, <laughs> so, so you brushed over one thing that I think is really important. Um, it, that you mentioned, and you mentioned it really quickly, but uh, I think that it's important to mention it because I think it's very consumer oriented. And it's the idea that uh, when you're on your TV, the programming should be what is, comes first, right? And so mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to think about, you know, which app do I need to go into to get this program, right? You should be able to think about what program do I want to watch and do that seamlessly. And I think that that's one of the great things about the TiVo OS, um, having seen it firsthand, 
that I think does really well and better than, than any other platform that I've seen so that the consumer can really get directly to the programming that they want. You know, I think that's important. So I wanted to touch upon that. I wanted to mention that um, further and, and, and sort of bring some light to that. The other thing was that was really um, that I think is really interesting going forward is the addressability, you know, and I think that's, that sort of pushes us into the next topic, but I think that that's one of the biggest challenges today, right? I mean, you know, we talked about this offline. It's like one of the biggest challenges for advertisers today is, is, you know, is addressability. And I think it's, it's part of the sort of big problem um, that is going on today in mobile advertising, you know, with the changes in with from Google and from Apple and you know, do not track all that stuff is creating an addressability problem. Mm -hmm. and so I think to your yeah. point, you know, in the CTV world, it's important that going forward, that addressability is, for lack of a better term, addressed. And <laughs> you know, it's something that we ensure happens so that we can improve TV ad targeting. You know, I've always talked about my frustration with linear TV advertising is that I have to see all these ads that relate, you know, don't relate to me. Yeah. So with CTV, we have that ability. We have that, you know, the we're technology forward and we have that ability to um, address advertising to the consumer. So that is a really important issue. I'd you'd love to sort of expand on that a little further. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's almost like be careful what you wish for. Like we want to have now that we've gotten a taste for the big data and this ability to anonymize and, you know, associate, um, you know, we're, we're hungry to do as much as we can with it. And we're as an industry aggressively pressing this, you know, hyper level targeting that we can do. Um, but the reason why I say be careful what you wish for is because ultimately um, the performance of those initiatives and the investments that are made are really what are going to be front and center. And we've been talking about it for the last 10 years is the evolution of, you know, measurement, planning and targeting and so forth. Evolution ultimately is so that we can get to performance based measurement. So it's and it's not about impression delivery. It's about the impact for that brand against the target audience. And so the points you just brought up on addressability is really where there are, you know, there are holes and um, the ability to effectively reach that um, intended audience with through these vehicles. I don't think we spend enough time getting under the hood to understand the process, the impact of these changes. And this is not going to be the last one. Um, there are more to come, especially as we think about um, uh, privacy and IP address. We talked about this offline a little bit um, and the implications that could have particularly on uh, CTV advertising, which, you know, really um, captures the majority of media attention these days when it comes to advertising. So I, I think it's, you know, what you brought up, David, in these points of these changes that are made and these holes that are in the execution process really stress the demand and that an advertiser, for example, should press on, you know, transparency. Um, you know, and this isn't the first time we've had to go through this process. You know, every time something is new, it's validated and pressed. And ultimately it comes down to, is it performing? Because if it's performing and impacting my sales, then, okay, it's 
probably working is a perfect no. Um, but there, what we're talking about here is something that has a very large blemish on it. And, um, you know, the, the fill rates, um, for example, on CTV are not, you know, what, what, uh, sellers in particular were ho are hoping for, uh, of supply. And, and there's some of that is that hesitance because of the new and adapting, but it's going to come down to being transparent throughout the process of where some of these changes are being deployed and the impact that it can have, because as you and I know, David, in working with identity, um, you know, the, the, the greater, the more likely that you have a representative and an actual individual that you're targeting that represents that audience, the, the greater the significant difference in the outcomes um, that you will have an impact versus um, somebody that you think is the target, um, but really is not. Um, and you're deploying, you know, millions, uh, billions of impressions against them and getting no results. So um, it's, a, it's a really important topic. And I, I think it's just not raised enough uh, as an industry um, in the headlines. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also one of the other things um, that we're going to see going forward, and, and you know, we're doing some of this on our end as well, um, is AI having an impact on that addressability and the reach as well. And so the idea that um, as it gets more and more difficult to discern a consumer you know, by way of identity, uh, we'll be able to employ uh, not only AI like we're doing today within our identity graph, but also employ AI in ad targeting so that the AI can sort of do the learning, you know, uh, with respect to the ad impressions. So delivering ad impressions and figuring out which, you know, regardless of the identity, at that point, you don't need the identity. It's just about targeting, about performance, and then using that performance to improve targeting going forward um, and feeding that back to the AI. I mean, that's what, it's like you can't escape a day without hearing that word AI. You know, yeah. it's it's almost at a point where I'm like, oh God, okay, enough already. We know, but it's everywhere. It, it's but are we taking away what the positives are and how we can leverage it, which is what you're talking about in helping not just about you know, chat GPT on, on language, like to your point, when we talked offline as applying it against data and uh, I'm sorry, identity. And, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, it, it's a, it's a discussion item that we need to, you know, and, and you guys are exploring it and having the opportunity to get it on a broader scale um, is I think really critical for us to do as an industry. Um, and yeah. uh, I think what you guys are doing is great. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, it's, it, you know, and, and I think part of the reason why there's so much discussion about it today is just, it's become, you know, I don't want to say easy, but it's become easier to do because of the, you know, not only the computational models and such, but just our ability to collect data at scale and our ability to process data at scale in a cost efficient manner. Yeah, which couldn't be done before. I mean, before you had to be Google, you had to be Amazon, you had to be Facebook in order to be able to afford to do these things. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we're able to take literally trillions of data sets and analyze them, um, you know, within 
really a short period of time on a, literally looking at billions of data sets per day and do this analysis against what we're doing on the identity side to, you know, to build an identity graph that is essentially much more powerful and able to discern identities across all these billions of, um, of uh, data sets in a way that literally you just couldn't do a, you know, a year or two ago because okay, it just yeah. would have been like, you know, you just couldn't afford to do it unless you were Google or Amazon or Facebook. Incredible. Right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, and that's the other thing that, you know, not it, it, to go off topic a little bit, but we don't even, most people don't even think about what it costs to process data. Like these, like you said, you probably, you're talking about trillions of pieces of data. This is, these are, um, you know, used to be incredible in, investments. And now, you know, innovation is coming through folks like yourself at BDEX that are nimble and thinking um, about what are the pain points and how can I address those specific pain points rather than focusing on these like, um, you know, general, okay, I'm going to build an addressable model. Um, it, it, so I think it's really um, uh, critical the, to build that kind of um, partnership in the industry. And I, I guess for what I think about is like, so who would you partner with to, um, you know, uh, engage or engage with in order to test this capability? So it's, it's, a, it's an interesting question. So I'll, and, and it's funny thing is we have these conversations every day and sometimes we're, we, you know, we're talking to the tech team or, or we'll have a sales or a partnership opportunity and somebody will come in and say, Hey, I have all this data and can you help me do this analysis? And yeah. we'll, we'll literally go to our engineering team. I'll go to the CTO and ask him, I'll say, look, what will it take for us to do that? And, and what's cool about it now is he can literally come back to me and say, we can do that, but it'll cost about $2,000 for us to run that query. Do we want to run that <laughs> query? <laughs> you know? And then like, like we'll know what it'll cost. And we'll go back to the client and we'll be like, all right, we have to figure out, you know, what yeah. the opportunity here is to try to figure out whether this makes sense for us to do it and how often do we have to run this query is it going to be a daily thing okay that's you know here's what it's going to cost to do that or maybe we can do it monthly or weekly or whatever but literally you know we have these exact conversations with you know with customers clients partners that want to you know do heavy lifting analysis on their data um, you know pretty frequently we have those kinds of conversations yeah no, I'd imagine. Uh, no, I, I look. I think you know the one thing that I've learned within this industry is like what seems to be a topic that you know is like lower on the priority list and not something that um, comes front and center can all of a sudden be capital catapulted overnight to the headlines and become the uh, you know shiny object of the day. You know. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> I can go through history, you know, recent history in, in advertising tech or media of, of the key, the buzzwords over the years that um, I think the last time we were chatting interoperability was the most recent. Right now, AI um, is is the hot topic in, in buzzword. But I think that um, what we'll find is this topic area that we're talking about um, it is in, in, you know, probably near future um, going to be front and center. Cause like we were talking about offline. I mean, this is what had implications on the demise of media math. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. 
you know, and, and going sort of back to that conversation to share with our audience here, like we were talking about the fact that, you know, media math has been on a tear, right? I mean, for years, they've been growing and growing and expanding internationally um, with, but then you think about what's occurred over the last 18, you know, or to 24 months with Apple and Google making changes now limiting tracking and ad targeting and all of a sudden the ad performance and addressability has gotten worse and worse and worse. And so we're having these conversations with companies literally every day about the same challenges that, you know, media math was having where, you know, there were, you know, not able to address those uh, ads to, you know, those campaigns for their clients to reach the right audience. Um, and that limited the performance. And so as advertisers started cutting back, all the scale that they had created became, you know, bloat essentially. And mm -hmm. so now all of a sudden they couldn't afford to maintain everything that they, they built. And, and so maybe they'll reorganize and scale back and sell off some assets and things like that. And, and we'll see what happens. Um, but it's an issue. It's an issue that I know everybody's dealing with. And when we get calls all the time and the conversation and the questions I ask them is, you know, what are your biggest problems right now and how can we help you solve them? And, over and over and over it's addressability and overall performance of their ad campaigns. And so that was sort of the, you know, the reason why we built the sort of two, you know, BDX 2.0 identity graph and launching our new identity graph this year um, and using, you know, machine learning and AI to sort of build the identity graph in a more intelligent manner because what we found is that with, you know, with these changes, especially with ATT, you know, we have found that there are all these, you know, temporary, some people call them synthetic, but mobile IDs that look like real mobile IDs, but they only exist for a very short period of time for that session. And when someone closes the app or moves on to a different app, they're gone. And a new mobile ID is created for that new session. That's a problem because that mobile yeah. ID appears to be real. It appears to be tied to that consumer. And the only way to know whether it's addressable or not is to go through billions and billions and billions of data sets, you know, looking at tons of data coming in from tons of different sources. And so that's what we're doing. And that's what our platform is doing now. And it's doing an analysis of literally these billions of data sets to try to figure out which of the IDs are actually addressable at any given moment and which ones were temporary and are no longer around and throw them aside and say, you know, we can't address those, so get rid of them. Um, and it's, it's been a, a very effective change. We've seen a highly, um, much more addressable audience. So we're able to not only um, support identity graphs for our clients by way of this, by licensing this to them, but also you know, building audiences like we're doing with the TiVo data that are now much more addressable because we're using this technology to figure out which IDs are addressable and throwing away the ones that are not. And that, that was exactly where I was going to go, like into our next topic is um, the importance of what you're talking about and why, you know, TiVo works with BDEX is 
you know, a key application of our TV viewership data is um, to leverage it to have re build reach extension against, um, you know, target audiences. And so a, a target audience that we're able to define based on, let's say, exposure or non-exposure to a specific um, creative uh, ad campaign airing on linear TV. It could be national and local or just uh, national. And we, you know, working with uh, BDEX to ensure that we are extending the reach of our household-based audience because this is a, a you know, television set. Um, it's not an individual. So we need to individualize uh, the members of the home so that we can reach them across all of their devices. Um, and working with a partner that can help us ensure that you know, we are uh, effectively able to isolate and identify who we say they are. Um, so identity really matters. And, and the process you just outlined, you know, our mobile initiatives as an extension of a glass screen reach initiative uh, linear is, is critical. Um, you know, given the penetration of mobile phones, the amount of time we all spend on them and the opportunity to expose brand message um, is a, a, a very viable opportunity for a brand to impact performance um, from a sales perspective. So yeah, I mean, everything you just outlined on the mobile ad ID um, on the do not track, you know, I can't say I read many articles about that topic anymore in the press in this sector, um, but yet it's a, it's a you know, in, incredibly important topic um, and important to us for our customers that are leveraging our data and then are able to extend um, against the audiences we built for them. So, um, so I, I can't stress that enough in, you know, putting quality before quantity um, remains, you know, a critical theme. And I don't think that's ever going to change. It shouldn't change. I think we had a blip there in our industry where we sacrificed because we got super excited over big data. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I hate even using that term anymore because it's, yeah, it's big, but it's data, right? It's about the mm -hmm. quality of the data um, and, and the representativity um, and the actionability that can be derived from it um, to, to enhance and um, uh, build up uh, intelligence, uh, reduce risk. I mean, these are the main reasons why we use data. Um, and, and we can't achieve that end if, uh, you know, what we're leveraging, it, you know, is, is flawed um, when it comes to identity, which is still super critical. Yeah, and going back to what you said about the TiVo audiences, when, when we switched the TiVo audiences over from our old version of our graph to the new graph, it, we saw some amazing results. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw those results, but... Yep. I think on one of the platforms, it was like, a, a, I think we did five times the reach mm -hmm. nice. that platform just with that change with the new identity graph. So um, it's working, you know, and that's what's awesome. Yeah. And that and that's really what we like to hang our hat on in the market is about quality. And I know customers that work with us that um, are recipients of our uh, viewership data feed in addition to what we compartmentalize as audiences that are pre-built and um, scaled working with uh, BDEX to, to do so. Um, it is that, uh, you know, we are, we have always been very focused on the quality of 
the construct of the data, its capture and its representativity. Um, the scale may not be one where we're going out there and touting, you know, the millions and billions, you know, like <laughs> Austin Powers kind of thing. Um, but, um, you know, there was a point in our industry when we got really excited and, and it was all about, you know, the size. And, um, and I think we've been able to, you know, we've, we've been in the background really building our business and importance in this industry and working with key partners like BDEX because quality was more important to us than the quantity and having impact, um, and results. And we're continue to, to strive for that, um, so yeah, the changes you guys have instituted have made uh, made a tremendous change, and we're looking uh, forward to seeing the impact continue. That's great to hear. Well, we've pretty much covered all the topics: smart TV data. We've got addressability and reach. Is there anything either of you would like to add on any of these before we move on? I mean, I think we'd be here for another hour if we did, yeah. right? If we did. <laughs> well, then let's transition into tech stack. So, Faraba, we'd love to hear what are some of the, your favorite tools that you use on your day-to-day -day basis that help you improve, you know, your work quality? I will have to say what has become a game changer for me recently is using the huddle feature in Slack. Oh. Um, I, like, it is so convenient to not have to, because, you know, you're on Slack all the time with folks, you know, just mm -hmm. instead of sending an email, because who wants another email? Can't read through all of them. And I I can't believe I didn't really use it until, I don't know, maybe about four months ago, maybe like towards the, the latter part of Q1, somebody had said, oh, I'll huddle, huddle you. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what that was like. Well, we're not in the same location. I can't huddle with you. <laughs> so, um, and then I started using it. I'm like, this is so great. Like that you could just pick up the phone and like chat with somebody. Um, I love that. It, it's honestly like Slack has become my new favorite vehicle for just staying connected um with with team members and external clients too like I, we've set up channels with external clients so we don't have to keep sending emails it's just increased efficiency so much and um and keeps the time it keeps the conversation short you know it doesn't have to be a huge yeah. email it can just be a quick and and the way you write it is acceptable like they don't look at you and be like oh typo <laughs> right yeah definitely and I'm definitely guilty of typing too fast in those chat um, channels, but that's that's the point, I guess. Yeah. Um, but fair, but we have a little bit of time, so um, I believe we okay. asked you this last time, but let's see if maybe your your answer has changed a little bit. Okay. So if you could go back when you first came into say the, the advertising industry, what is the number one piece of advice you would have given yourself? Um, I would say it's a, it's a little bit compounded, um, in what I would, my advice. So my first thing is that, um, be proud, uh, because I've always worked in data, working with data was not very cool. It wasn't sexy. It wasn't that, you know, when you get together with your young friends, you know, 20 something comparing what you do and your job, it was not cool. Um, and some may say it's not cool today, but I think it is because um, of how important it is. And so I would say be proud, regardless of, you know, what it is, uh, you are making a contribution. And if you are confident 
and you believe in the impact that the, what you're working on may have um, and have the patience to, to see it through, um, kind of like the um, you know, field of dreams, if you build it, they will come. Um, you know, I've been working with this particular product offering with this organization collectively for 13 years. Um, and I will tell you the first seven years were not easy. Um, nobody in this market really wanted to hear or talk about changing the way advertising is um, planned and no less executed and certainly not measured from a currency perspective. So seeing what's happened, um, it, it really is kind of like made me think like, you know, the thoughts I had in those early days were like, nah, scratch that, believe in yourself and be proud of it. It'll make a difference. Oh, that's really great. And, you know, going off that, are there any lessons you've learned along the way from, you know, past jobs or this current role that you think everyone should know? Um, I mean, I, I think that it's, you know, it's important to stay focused and confident. Um, I think uh, finding an advocate, um, a advocate internally within your organization who supports you and can help you um, when you bounce ideas or you've got a, you know, a, a creative um, uh, initiative that you want to pursue. I think having that level of support um, helps reinforce your confidence so that you're not feeling like you're going at it alone. Um, I think from a data perspective, um, I think that it, I, I touched on it a little bit before, but it, it really has been about quality for me, um, staying persistent in finding an answer. There's always an answer to be found. Um, and, you know, many times we give up, uh, but the troubleshooting, getting where you want to be. So knowing what that goal is and what you want that product to be, it, you can get there um, and not give up. And I think there were many, many times uh, along the way that we could have given up, um, but having the right advocates to support you and, and understand what, uh, what drives you, um, it really um, keeps, keeps you, you know, um, focused on, on what your uh, goals are and how to achieve them. So, I mean, and that sounds very fluffy, um, but I, I really believe in it because it comes back to that whole data thing where I, you know, I had this quantitative knack and, um, but yet had this creative side. And um, so I brought it together as storytelling. And um, I, I feel like I'm an author <laughs> um, to some degree, uh, but I never thought it was cool. And, and now I look back and I'm really proud. Um, and I think everybody should feel that way, regardless of your role. That's really awesome. Well, thank you for sharing mm -hmm. that advice. And yeah. in closing, Faraba, where can listeners reach you if they you know, like what they hear and they want to reach out to you? Yeah, I'd love, please feel free to reach out to me. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you see the spelling of my name, just uh, do a search. There aren't many of us with this combination. Um, so feel free to reach me on LinkedIn, or um, you can visit our website at TiVo.com and you'll see an area for uh, where you can get connected if you have questions, or feel free to reach me at my first name dot last name at TiVo.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to you guys. It was yeah. great to see you. Yeah, it was great to have you on again. And uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure we'll hear from you again on this show and look forward to doing it again sometime in the future.
Always Absolutely. Fun. I believe we might even already have something booked. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. You can't get rid of me just yet. <laughs> but um, any audience members, we hope you'll check out BDEX's Omni IQ. I'm going to pull the QR code up here. But if you are seeing this later on on a podcast, you can simply go to BDEX.com and click Try for Free, um, our app, and upload your first party customer data. And you get some complimentary analytics on it. And if you like what you see, you can upgrade to learn more about your audience and then use that app to expand your audience and find more people like your best customers. So we'd love to hear from listeners as well. You can reach us at BDEX. I'm sorry. You can reach us at info at BDEX.com and share your qualitative data with us so we can make this show better for you. So thank you all again so much for coming. And thanks again, Faraba. Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, David. All right. Thank you. All right. See you later. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.